Let's stand together and let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. In verse 34 it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a, a, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray you'd bless it to us, to bless your word to us today and help us to grow in it in Jesus' name. And Father, as we come here, let us understand our position before you. Father, there are some here today that need to surrender their life to you. They need to put their faith in Jesus to be their Savior. And we pray you'd speak to them today. Those of us who've already done that, Lord, let us grow in you, learn in you. And Father, be filled with your presence to do your work on this earth. Bless this congregation with your joy. Bless them with your wisdom. Bless them with your revelation. Fill us with your zeal to do your work every day. In Jesus' name, amen. In the last week of Jesus' life on the earth, the religious leaders of the day and the political leaders of the day were doing uh, what a lot of people are trying to do today in the world that we live in. They were trying to discredit Jesus. They were trying to turn the tide of public opinion against him, which they would eventually do that week. But they were trying to undermine his message, and they were doing that through some of the questions and things that they were ask, asking him. And one of them was this question, and the, the problem that they had is every time they asked him a question, he answered it wisely. He answered it with great wisdom. Today, as we, as we look at this message, and we're talking about being a healthy church, and what is a healthy church? We need to think about our relationship with God Himself, that this is a relationship. It's not just a religion where He's out there, but He wants to enter into your life. So we, we talk, as we look in the Bible, we talk in terms of the law, the Old Testament law, and we talk in terms of grace that's offered to us by God, and we, we, we begin to understand a bit about our relationship with God through those terms. But we also need to understand what we call kingdom imperatives. Imperatives are these issues that are re required. We need to understand them. We need them for right understanding of who God is. We need to know them to understand how to act before God. We need to understand the imperatives so that we know the duties that we are to walk in to walk in the fullness of God. Grace is the free gift of God offered to the unworthy. That's us. Through the work of Jesus on the cross. We all need the grace of God that's offered to us. If we don't have the grace of God, then we rest under the wrath of God. The law is what we see in the Old Testament, and we need to understand the law and how the Old Testament is written to understand the Bible. There are many who don't understand the Bible, or if they do, they are really pretty evil people because they are trying to undermine our faith and our confidence in the Bible. And so they pull out certain scriptures of the Bible that they should understand, and they try to hang those on us and say, 
see it, this is what the Bible says, so it's outdated. But it's simply their lack of understanding of how the Bible's written. In the Old Testament, when we think about the law, there are three laws you need to be constantly aware of as you read the Old Testament. One is you read ceremonial law. This is related to the priesthood. It's related to sacrifices. It's related to the temple. It's related to cleanliness. All of these point to the purity needed to have a relationship with God. All of them reveal to us that we can never perfectly meet that standard. When we read them, you see the purity of Jesus. You begin to see the outstanding character of Jesus, and we rejoice that He is the one who makes us clean. He is our priest. We don't live under those laws anymore. We don't answer the… We don't bring a sacrifice, a sacrificial lamb in here anymore. We don't dress in certain clothes and cut our hair in certain ways. We don't do some of these ceremonial things. We are not under the obligation of those things because Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial law. The whole book of Hebrews is written explaining to the Jewish people how Jesus answered those laws. And we look at them, they're valuable to us because they show us the perfection and the holiness of Jesus and how we can trust in Him. The second group of laws that you find in the Old Testament are the civil laws. And these are ones where people really get hung up on today, and, but, and yet they are insightful to tell us what is right and wrong. See, they were under a theocracy where God ruled and was supposed to rule over them. This somewhat ended as the kings came into place. It certainly ended with the exile of Babylon. You never see a pure theocracy again throughout Israel. There's never been a, a pure theocracy since then uh, in God's kingdom, and there won't be until the millennial reign. In fact, in the New Testament, we are told, and we are told that we are to obey our pagan government, that we are to be keepers of the law inside of there. So, uh, a lot of children can be thankful for this. We don't uh, stone children who curse their parents. We don't kill people who work on the Sabbath. We don't, we don't do that part of the ceremonial law or the civil law. We are now under the law of government that many times, like in America, we have a government based on Judeo-Christian values, but it's becoming more and more secular every day. We saw that in, in, in these weeks that we just have been through with how the Illinois House has just passed these very liberal laws about killing babies at the latest stages of birth possible. That is not a godly law. That's a secular law. We need to repent of it, and we need to pray for God's help in it. The third law, though, that you find in the Bible is you read in the Old Testament, you read about the moral law. 
And this is what people are trying to get us to throw off. What they do is they take the civil law or the ceremonial law, and they'll say, see, these things are, are, you don't do these things anymore. Therefore, the moral law is not binding. But Jesus continually uplifted and supported the moral law. When you look at the, at, the, at the Ten Commandments, nine of them, he emphasized the importance of how they were still important to us. It was only the Sabbath that we became free from and the Sabbath laws that rested under some of the ceremonial laws. This is why when you read in Galatians and you read about freedom and the freedom we have, we have the freedom to rest in Jesus and not have to work our way through the ceremonial law. We have the freedom to rest in Him for our salvation. It's great freedom. We are under grace. God is merciful. We don't have to do all of, all of those ceremonial things because Jesus answered it. And so you're reading about this freedom, and then it, you, you just turn the page and Paul begins to talk about the works of the flesh. He begins to talk about things of the flesh, like sexual immorality and jealousy and lying and all. And he says, these are the works of the sin nature. And what he says in Galatians chapter 5 is, those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So this is really important for us to get. The world will twist these laws and try to use the twisting of those laws and our lack of understanding of them to undermine the moral laws that separate men from God. And if we're not careful, the church buys into it because of our ignorance of how the Word of God actually works and how it reveals God to us. I hope you'll take that and pray about it and think about it. Today I want us to think about some imperatives. These are about our right relationship with God. We'll come back to the law in just a moment. When I was uh, right out of high school, uh, my brother-in-law Bob was building houses, and I got a job with him for the summer. I was absolutely clueless. I absolutely had no idea what was going on. I just went out there to work for him and do whatever he said. And uh, uh, the first day, first day on the job, first day on the job, uh, we're, we're building this house, working on this house, and there's me and I think three or four other guys and Bob, and Bob had to take off someplace. He had to go someplace and do some business. And he left us guys there uh, working on this house. And about an hour or two hours into this thing, uh, his, this guy Wayne comes up to me. That I, just, I think I just met him that day. He comes up to me and he says, uh, he, gives, he tries to hand me some money. And he says to me, he says, uh, I want you to run down to the store and get me a cherry pie and a, I remember a cherry pie and a Coke and uh, go around to all the other guys, see what they want, and go down there and get him a cherry pie, get them whatever they want, and bring it back. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not doing that. He's like, yeah, yeah, you need to go down there and get something. I said, I said I'm saying, in the back of my, here's what I'm thinking in the back of my mind. I am working for my brother-in-law. I am not going to sneak off and, and not be a, he's not going to come here and find out that I took off and that I'm not working. That's not going to happen. I am going to stay here, and I'm going to work, and nobody on this work site is going to get me to goof off on my brother-in-law. I'm going to be a faithful worker to him, 
and I just told him, I said, I'm not doing it. I, will. I stood there and I said, no way, I'm staying right here and working. He just kind of rolled his eyes at me like, you're a big idiot, and he walked away. Got one of the other guys, and they took off and got out. Yeah, they can get caught goofing off. You know, I'm not going to get caught goofing off. And uh, so, you know, they go get, they come back. He gives everybody their food. And uh, about an hour or so later, Bob shows up. And uh, he talks with this Wayne. And a few minutes later, Bob comes over to me. He goes, look, <clears throat> I need to explain something to you. Uh, when I'm not here, Wayne's in charge. If Wayne tells you to go to the store and get stuff, you go to the store and get stuff. Do you understand that? Oh. I, I had a new understanding of relationship at that moment. I had a new understanding of the imperatives of working on that job and what was required out of me and who was in charge and who wasn't in charge and what they could do and what they… It was a new revelation. We, we need those kind of revelations in our life. We need them in our life. So let me give you a couple quick ones. How we approach worship is an imperative. It's, we've got to understand. God, here, here's the deal. God is worthy of our worship. And the Bible has described to us how to do that. I don't get to say, I'm just not the type of guy who lifts my hands to God. Any more than I get to say, I'm not going down to IGA and getting the cherry pie. God has told us how to act. He's told us to sing. He's told us, and we are called to worship Him. Our heart and mind, as our heart and mind needs to come into this recognition of who God is and that worship is a right response to God. So let me challenge the way you think. Something really good happens to you. Something, you, you get a raise at work unexpectedly. You, you get a a gift sent to you. Something really nice happens to you. Part of what we need to learn to do is not only be thankful to the people who've offered that, that that's flowed through, but we need to worship God for what He's done for us. When you stand out, when you, when you see the beauty or the power of the world, when you stand by a place like the Grand Canyon or one of the great oceans or you're standing by some beautiful mountain range, Part of what should swell up in the hearts of the believer is, wow, that's beautiful. God, you do good work. God, I worship you. I see your glory and your power and the beauty of this and the majesty of this and the power of this. When we look up in the stars and we say, I can't even begin to count them, and they're bigger than our sun, they're huge. They're God, you, these are a reflection of you and the believer sees them and worships God. God, we're grateful for who you are. The kingdom thinker sees the glory of God. Here's another one. Prayer. We talk about this all the time. We'll talk about it in the weeks ahead. Prayer changes things. This imperative reminds me that I am not helpless. In the face of society, that is running away from God. The church is not helpless. We have the authority of God to do something about it. And it's not in how we go to the voting box. It's not 
and, and who we send $25 to or $50 to that's going to make the big difference. The big difference gets made when the world is awakened by God touching people's lives, and that happens when the church prays. Prayer is this imperative, this imperative about God in our sight, in my home, in my relationships, in health and in troubles. It, I'm not helpless in the face of these things. I have the power to come before the creator of all the universe, and he partners with us as we pray, and he moves in our lives as we pray. He moves mountains. He, he parts the seas. He does mighty works through people who understand prayer is the way things happen. But we have to understand that imperative and apply our, uh, apply our life to it. Eternity. This life is temporary, and then we stand before God. It's important that you and your children understand that this is, an, this is something we need to know. There is eternity. This reminds me when I realize and I think about eternity that the goals of life are not to be about temporary things of this world. That I can waste my time chasing after things that don't matter. I can get seduced to pursue things that have no importance. I can give my life chasing and encouraging my kids and things that at the end of the day don't get them to heaven and don't get them to understand their purpose on this earth. I can spend my life doing that. We, we need to understand that we should work to pur purchase gold that is gold, not gold that isn't gold. There's a lot of shiny things in our world that try to get our attention that have no impact on eternity at all, and then there are things that do. We see all life with this thought that there's an eternity coming. This is temporary. That's, eterni that's eternal. I come, you come with an expiration date. Do you understand that? Your children come with an expiration date. I better be thinking about eternal things. Number four, it's important for me to understand revelation. God has revealed himself to us. God continues to reveal himself to us. The main way, the foundation of all of God's revelation is in his word that teaches us about faith and conduct. His word is true. And so I want to give my life, that's why we offer the classes that we talk about. That's why we're offering some of the new ministry we're talking about to men. Because we want to make sure that we are building our life on what Jesus says is a sure foundation and not building our life on sand that when storm and trials come, our world crashes around us. We want to build our life on a solid foundation of God's Word. So it's imperative. It's, it's, it's important for me to understand. The Word of God is the revelation of God. And I judge everything that I hear from the Word of God. Listen, I don't judge it by how clever, how creative 
the speaker is or the video is or the movie is, how much they paint something up. I don't judge what's right and wrong by those. I take all of those things and say, boy, that's cleverly done. They have really appealed to my emotions in this, but does it match the Word of God? The Word of God is my foundation. It doesn't matter how many tears I cry. It doesn't matter how, how much I am moved by it. It doesn't matter how inspiring the song is. Now, oh, my flesh gets all excited, but I love this song. And then you look at what the song says, and it's a big fat lie. It's a big fat deception. But boy, that beat sure is good, and I love that singer, and boy, it really moved me emotionally, but it's a lie. The church has to be smart enough. We have to understand this imperative of the revelation of God enough to know the Word. Now, let me take that a step further with us today. I've got to judge preaching by this. I've got to judge teaching by this. When you sit here today and you listen to me or anybody else that walks onto this, on this platform, if what we say isn't founded in the Word of God, you know, I'd hope with me and say, well, Pastor, I had a bad day. But you can't just take it. Listen, I'll, I'll promise you this. If we have a guest speaker in here and they get up and they say something that's not biblical, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you. We're not going to mess around. We've got to be built on the Word of God. But I'm warning you. Culture tries to push us. Culture tries to influence us. And it's doing a pretty good job at impacting the way the church sees the world. And we need to return to biblical perspective or we will find ourselves having built our lives on the sand. So, what we do is we excuse away actions because the culture has accepted actions. The culture says it's okay. The culture supports it and says, oh, this is natural. And yet you look in the Bible, and it's clearly actions that send people to hell. Now, if you trust the wrong thing in the middle of that, you're going to end up on the wrong side of eternity. I do not want to… I'd rather be on the wrong side of man's history than the wrong side of eternity. The Word of God is our standard for faith and conduct. Uh, here's the fifth one. Uh, the church. I've got to understand what the church's role is in my life. The church is a plan of God for my health and my effectiveness. The church is a place where we come and build relationships and where the various giftings of the members of the body are there to strengthen me, to build me, to strengthen my family, and to build my family. And when I neglect the church, when I am, you know, casual with the church, when I am casual with my children being in the church, all of a sudden the ties, the strength, the life that is supposed to be breathed into my children's lives isn't getting breathed into it because it's not just about me and them. It's about the church. The church becomes the family of God. The church becomes the life of God, and I want my children 
deeply connected to other believers so that their gifts and their life is pouring into their life as well. So that when they face times of question, they're not just looking at me saying, I don't know if I trust you or not. They've got to look at a whole family of believers who's speaking into their life. The church is the plan to keep me in line, to speak to me, that when I begin to stray one way or the other, to say, hey, you know, we need to, you need to think about this. You need to pray about this. I don't, we're not called to be little independent kingdoms. We are called to be a part of Jesus' kingdom, and he raises up the church for us to be healthy and strong. Now, I'm going to share one last one, and we're going to be done because we're out of time. And I'll, I'll pick up the rest of them next week. Uh, the first and foremost call. We just read it here today. The first commandment is to love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. This means, friends, that pleasing God is my first priority. He is my Lord. I can't be a Christian until He's my Lord. I've got to, con- I've got to confess with my mouth that He's Lord and believe in my heart that Jesus is my Savior. He's my Lord. This is part of total surrender. The beginning of wisdom is not a desire to please men. The beginning of wisdom is not a desire to make men comfortable. Uh, The beginning of wisdom is not a desire to make men feel good about themselves. The beginning of wisdom is not even for the, it's definitely not for the world to cheer me. The beginning of wisdom is fear of God. To understand that I'm going to stand before Him in judgment. And I better be living my life the way He tells us to. Today, the cultural call to ethnic morality is to love man's heart first. Whatever man feels, listen to me carefully, however he identifies himself, should be celebrated and accepted as normal and right. This is the call of our entertainment industry. It's the call of our laws of the day. And they do it in such a way that it feels good and appeals to our ears, but it is a reversal of what should be first in our life. What should be first in our life is loving God. The scriptural call is to love God's heart first. We cannot love others in a healthy way until we love God with all of our being. Jesus said something very harsh, it seems like, in the Bible. But it's really where fundamental health begins to take place at. He tells us in the Bible that if we're not willing to walk away from our family, if we're not willing to say, you know, God's first, not my spouse, God's first, not my children, that we're not worthy to follow Him. What He's really calling us to is loving health. He's calling us this place where we understand who God is so that we can rightly love our children 
and rightly love our family. So when we look at, as we talked about the law, when we look at the moral law, and because we love somebody, we want the best for them, we want them to go to heaven, we compromise the truth of God and we begin to accept that which the Bible clearly says separates men from God and is a reflection of the sin nature. And we say, nope, I'm going to ignore that and I'm going to embrace this because I love them so much. You're really not loving them. When the church says, okay, we're going to compromise our moral teaching because the world has, they have evolved. No, they haven't. They've devolved. They've gone the wrong way. And when we begin to accept that and embrace that, we don't really love them. We condemn them to a Christless eternity. Now, this doesn't mean we're mean to people. This doesn't mean we treat people unkindly. This doesn't mean we're harsh and nasty. It means we learn how to love as Christ loved while telling the truth, while standing on solid ground that we do not compromise because the revelation of the Word of God has clearly defined what's right and wrong. And I need that revelation. I need it like I need a compass when I'm in the forest so that I can find my way through, I need the direction because I can get all turned around and be walking in circles. Are you hearing me today? A healthy church has to be founded on this call that we live to please God first. And that may mean the culture yells at us. That may mean the, the culture calls us names. That may, may mean the culture says we're mean and we're unkind. And we need to work really hard to be the light of the world in the middle of all that. That's why we do all this above and beyond stuff. We want to be the light of the world. But we also have to be the salt of the earth. We also have to be people of the truth. And so, friends, no matter how corrupt when people love, we have to be able to tell the truth. This means we love God more than we love our culture, that He is Lord of our life. Love for God first is a kingdom imperative. Okay. Does that give you something to pray about this week? Lord, I just pray that as we see this world, Father, and all their creativity with the great talent that should be glorifying you, with great creativity that should be revealing you to people, with great cleverness to know how to pull on our heartstrings, make us feel guilty and confuse us. Let us be a people who are clearly founded in the truth that you are God creator. You know what's best. And that we're going to follow you. That you've revealed yourself in, in, in the middle of all of this. Father, remind us as parents that our children live in a, they live in a storm. They live with great winds of culture and 
pushing against them, finding and knowing the fullness of who you are. And yet you have given us a solid rock to build our life on. You've given us the power of your Holy Spirit to walk in. And so, Lord, we don't have to be afraid because we know we're not alone, that you're with us. But let us be serious and committed to the cause in our own life of knowing your word and knowing your truth so we will be unshakable. So that the storms may come and we'll stand. And let us be serious and committed to making sure our children in this culture that would confuse them. And we know the, the enemy appears as an angel of light. Let us teach them the truth that they will see through every deception. That we'll be loving, we'll be kind. We'll minister to people's hearts. But we won't compromise your truth. Help us in all this, we pray. Guide us in all of it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together today. Okay, some of you are going to come to me out in the entryway and you're going to say, I have lines not filled in on my notes. And that's true. I've stopped early because we're out of time. Uh, come back next week and you'll get it filled in. So if you're kind of OCD, just kind of breathe deep till next Sunday, okay? We'll, we'll help you next Sunday. We'll get, we'll get there. I'm going to ask a couple of our prayer team members to come down. Here's the deal, folks. Here, here's an imperative you've got to understand. Unless you acknowledge that God is the Lord of your life, what does that mean? That means that you surrender your life to Him. That means you obey Him. That's what that means. It's talking about, I'm going to obey your way. Unless you do that, and unless you put your faith in Jesus to be the Savior of your soul, You can't make heaven your home. You are an eternal creature and you're going to spend eternity someplace. And the challenge I'm giving to you today is are you ready for that? Have you on your own, not, not something, not that your parents baptized you or not that you grew up in the church, have you said, okay, God, I get it. You love me. You love me so much you sent your son to die for me. You have the right way to go. I'm just a temporary, I'm just this temporary person on this. I'm just, I'm just beginning to have existence and you have eternal existence. So I get it. I can trust you more than I can trust myself. And I recognize I'm a fallen creature and I need your grace. See, unless, until you get to that point, you're not, you're not ready to stand before God. And so today, I want to challenge you. Have you done that? Have you put Christ first in your life? It's the best thing you'll ever do for your life. And definitely, definitely, definitely the best thing you'll do for your eternity. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Father, in this, uh, in this moment, I just pray for every believer that they would just have that assurance 
comes from your faith of seeing how you've already begun to change their life and move their life to walk in you. But Lord, I also pray for those who need to come today. They need to walk down here and accept you into their life. Uh, that today, Father, they put their faith in your son, Jesus. Lord, speak to each heart, we pray in Jesus' name.